gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the Hello and welcome back to the Gathering in the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. I'm Regan, you can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined today by Mark. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Mark Jerobi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillamarkPGH. Uh, everyone seems so down about this loss to Wolves, Regan, but uh, I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna try to put some things to bed and talk about some some knee jerk reactions that that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, I mean, like the scoreline itself isn't really a fair reflection of just how poor Villa were on the day. You know, we could have probably gone in at the break with with Wolves being a couple of goals ahead. Um, but it was, you know, it was injuries mixed with a poor performance that seemed to affect Villa, and it was one of the poorer showings we've seen under Dean Smith. Yeah, it was, and there's really there's not a way to get around it. It was very poor performance, especially that first half. I mean, everyone talks about they got better the second half, but um, yeah, they they were so poor that I think that anything would have been shown to be a better performance in the uh, you know coming out of the break. But I I don't know. You're gonna have results like this, and it's. It could have really happened against any team. The fact that it happened to Wolves, I think, kind of puts it under a magnifying glass a little bit. But it, it's not the end of the world. I'm hoping that this international break, you know, they can work on some things, figure out what happened. And I, I don't know. It was just it was a little shocking to see, though, coming off how well they played against Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a bit of discontent amongst amongst the fan base um, before the game had even started. You know, Tom Heaton and Bjorn Engels were absent from the team sheet. Uh, when they were announced an air before the game, and Jed Steer and Ezri Konsa stepped in as replacements. Um, you know, Konsa perhaps you know di- didn't necessarily warrant the start. You know, that I-, I think maybe you know I-, I don't understand where Courtney Hawes is. If I'm honest, you know, um, I saw an article today by Seven Five Hundred to Halt, um, and. You know, I agree with that. Like, why why did we buy Courtney Hawes if he's if he's not going to get game time? He's, he's more versatile than having like Neil Taylor on the bench. That and we had James Chester um, on the bench as well. And obviously, he's coming back from you know recovering from injury. Um, it, it, that's not to say Conza had a bad game. Conza was one of the better performers in the side, but it was one of those ones where it was a bit like, okay, that's interesting. No, I completely agree with you. And, you know, my thing about Courtney Horse is I like the fact that he can be multifaceted to play left back and center back. And um, it's probably not a popular opinion a lot of people share, but I would have rather had Courtney Horse come out there for the Matt Target injury that ended up happening in this game, more so than actual Neil Taylor. Um, I just think that he plays a better style. I think he's, you know, a little bit taller than Taylor. I, th- I think he can, you know, be utilized defensively on set piece opportunities and things of that nature. But at, at the end of the day, I, I don't know. It was so strange seeing the team sheet and Heaton's out and Ingles is out. And I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it makes people think a little bit about how important Bjorn Ingles is to Aston Villa and specifically playing with Tyra and Mings. And that's not to say that Ezra Conta had a bad game. He didn't have a bad game. Even Dean Smith said in his post-match presser that, you know, he thought Conta was one of the better players for Villa on the pitch. And again, everyone had a, a pretty lackluster showing. It looked pretty lethargic most of the time. 
But, um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with Courtney Horse. I, I really like his play. I've always really fancied his play, but he just seems absent, and there's really no choice why. I don't know maybe if he struggles in training or, you know, the. I, I think he had some sort of illness. Do you remember what he had that, that he was out for a while there? He had mumps, but he'd recovered that's what it was. from it was that, months. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I just that's one of the things where I don't have an answer for that, and I'm I'm curious to maybe why he, what you know, wasn't on the bench. Maybe Dean thought that Ezri had such a, a good performance against Wolves in the in the cup competition that he warranted being, you know, out there. I I don't know. I, I just I just don't know. It seems almost like he, you know, he, he went from being a, a bench warmer or, you know, an under twenty three player at Wolves after breaking into their their team initially to becoming, you know, a mainstay of our championship side and now he's back to being a bench warmer at Villa. Yeah, and that's that's not what you want your career to be. And I'm I'm sure at least I would I would have the hope that Courtney Horace wants to, you know, battle for his place in the team, even if it is on the bench or even if it is, you know, minutes in a in a cup competition or whatnot. Um I saw a couple of people asking maybe it was because he, it was against Wolves and he didn't want to necessarily play against them, but I, I don't think that that's the case whatsoever. I, I you know, I don't I don't know. I just I'd like to see more from him because he was so he was important for us, you know, last season when when we were, you know, trying to get promoted in the ten game winning run and all that kind of thing. So he, he was involved. He did look pretty good. Um, you know, signs for us permanently. I don't I think this this was the kind of situation where you needed a player like Courtney Horse to come on the pitch, or at least be, you know, in the substitutes on the bench to, you know, come into the game. But I, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping to see more of them because that's you know, that's one of those signings that we've made that we really haven't seen very much of this season. Yeah, um talking of people that we haven't really seen much of this season, um within seven or eight minutes, uh, Jed Steer had landed awkwardly after backpedalling and making sure that a wayward cross from Matt Doherty didn't dip into the back of the net. Um, I think uh, Steer, I think he, I don't think he's ruptured it, but I think he's done something to his Achilles. I know it's a, you know, a, a re-aggravation of an injury, but this forced uh, Oya Newland into the fray. And, you know, he's... He's been Villa's third third choice goalkeeper all season, and you know I think he probably thought that he was never going to make a senior appearance for Villa again, with uh, Heaton and Steer ahead of him. Yeah, probably not, especially with Tommy Heaton playing out of his mind, and we're seeing what kind of class he is. Um, I, yeah, I just I didn't think that Heaton even had an injury. I don't think anybody did until the team sheets were announced. Um, I was so excited for Jed Steer to get this start. It's, it was a Premier League debut. Um, I, I still believe from last season that, that he earned to be a part of this team moving forward. I think he should have gotten his chance, and it's it's just so frustrating to me. I can only imagine what it, what it's like to him to you know play basically eight minutes in the Premier League, and all of a sudden you do something to your Achilles and you're hobbling off the pitch. Uh, it's just it's heartbreaking to see. It seems like this happens to Jed Steer more than it does any other keeper that I, that I've really seen or followed. Um, I don't think he's necessarily injury prone. It was just kind of one of those freak things that he's backpedaling and trying to stop a, a, a cross that really, I mean, it did look like it was going to fall in the back of the net, but at the same point in time, I, I don't just think that, um, I, I hope Jed recovers quickly and, and I hope that he get, gets another shot at this thing. Cause I do think that he can, he can do a job for Villa and, you know, it raises the question what Villa are going to do moving forward for the cup competitions and whatnot. At the end of the day, um, Nyland's not a bad backup keeper, and, and I don't think that he really showed any kind of unwillingness to perform against Wolves. Yeah, I was going to say, did, when he came on, did you have much confidence in Nyland? Um, I did only for the fact that when he started to get better, um, the last time we saw him through a stretch of games, it, it seemed like you know then he got injured. So I was thinking maybe 
you know, it, it comes down to the mentality of a player whenever you're put in that situation where it might be third or even, you know, some people may even say fourth best keeper at Villa. So whenever you're thrown into a situation, obviously as a professional, you're going to want to perform the best of your ability. And I think that Nyland did that for the most part. I think his distribution's great. He kind of comes off to me more as a sweeper keeper than an actual traditional goalkeeper. Uh, you know, so his distribution's fast. I mean, if Villa has have the pace to be able to counter off of a quick distribution goalkeeper. So I mean, if if he ends up being you know the the keeper for a little while, we don't know what's going on with Heaton. Hopefully, he's okay coming back off the international break. But um, you know, I I didn't feel one way or the other about it. I you know, I honestly, it was kind of like a clean slate for me. Like, okay, let's let's see what he has. Let's you know, you know, let's see if all this time on the bench and all this preparation and all this stuff he does with the coaching staff. Let's see if it pays off. I mean, I'm I'm always one that kind of feels and and really likes the the, the players that kind of get the most stick, um, and Norland got a lot of stick last season, and you know I've got I've got a real affinity for him, but before before Jed Steer got injured, I I kind of saw it in his face. For me, Steer didn't look confident at all, and I think perhaps he's um. You know his his little save for the wayward cross. Um, and perhaps he wasn't overly confident in what he was doing, and he's injured himself by doing that. But um, with with Newland coming on, I, I kind of got that feeling doubled, if you know what I mean. I, I saw that Steer didn't necessarily look confident, um, but then I thought, mm, I'm, I'm not. I'm just as, if not more, unconfident in in Newland, even though I do really like him. Yeah, I was. We were just sitting down to watch the game at the pub, and that's whenever you messaged me and said that you you were just getting a bad feeling about you know Steer's body language, or you just didn't think he looked very confident at all. Um, I didn't. I didn't have any thoughts about it. Um, I thought maybe it was kind of just nervousness that he was getting his Premier League start and everything like that. that's a that's a big deal, especially for someone like Jed Steer, who's you know come up the ranks a little bit and you know always wanted to play you want to play at the top of the top so i but yeah when he came on you know i I don't know i just keep coming back in my mind that it's just like i guess universally unfair for jed steer i guess i just like rate him that much my own personal opinion that i really wanted him to perform and perform well in the absence of heaton uh we've seen what he can do in cup competitions and you know things of that nature last year the whole history of jed steer at aston villa so i don't know i just really like the guy i think he's not only a really really good goalkeeper for aston villa i think he's a really nice bloke as well so i don't know for me it was just disheartening but yeah i can get what you're saying about nylon coming on the game and he didn't hit almost like the deer in headlights of like uh, i can't believe i just got thrown into this i haven't had a game since who knows when yeah i know he's been appearing for um the under 23s i think he's had two appearances for them um you know he's made some good saves in the under 23 games but he's also conceded goals um but you know straight away you know, it, it was coming into a game that had started all in Wolves' favour, and Wolves maintained that dominance for the early stages of the first half. Um, I think between the 16th and 31st minute, Wolves had around 61% possession, and that you know, it was really evident in the way that the game was the game was panning out. Um, there were large kind of patterns in Villa's play of wayward passing, and almost like a lack of willingness to get forward, um, as well as a few sloppy mental lapses. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know what was going on, and I, I. I honestly feel I'm not the only one who thought that. I was watching this Aston Villa team perform as if they've never played with each other before, and it was very strange. It was almost like uh, mistakes were happening from players that we haven't really seen mistakes from. Um, Wolves did really well to stop what Villa 
does well, uh, you know, as far as like utilizing the flanks of the pitch and getting balls either back centrally, you know, after using their pace on the flanks or just trying to throw crosses into the box. And the wingers didn't have a great day trying to do that. And it almost looked like with the five at the back for Wolves, you know, they utilize wing back system. So them utilizing the, the wing back system, it almost seemed like Gilbert and El Ghazi really couldn't get off the mark. On the other side of the pitch, it looked like Target when he was there, and Trezeguet couldn't get off the mark. The underlap overlaps weren't working. Wolves were actually forcing their uh, midfielders out a little bit wider to kind of stop that. So it, it was almost like there was frustration from Villa because they came across a team who plays in a certain way that can completely knock them off their game. And I don't know if that played into the lackluster uh, first-half performance for Villa. Like, they just didn't know exactly what they were trying to do against Wolves. But... At the end of the day, it's it's just not good enough. It is a shocking performance the first forty five minutes, and yeah, they did look better in the second. But the first forty five, I just I don't know what was going on there. We were seeing Douglas Louise not tracking back. We were seeing even marvelous Nakamba. He had a few wayward passes that kind of made you scratch your head and be like, oh, this this just might not be Villa's day today. I mean, the concentration down the right um, of El Ghazi and Gilbert was a smart decision, in my opinion. Because I think we'd have had more luck against Jota and uh, Johnny uh, down down the right uh, than we would against Matt Doherty and Adama Traore down the left. And you know, if we we, we saw it for uh, Wolf's second goal, which we'll come on to, but you know, Neil Taylor's edging forward and Adama Traore makes absolute you know, it's a gift for him really. Um, but it 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 wasn't just. You know, one area of the the pitch suffering. It was the entire team, but the the, the midfield really suffered. You know, McGinn, Louise, Nakamba, they all did boast passing percentages that were positive, but it was always like the second or third ball that never really like linked up, and possession would be lost almost like every build up. Yeah, it was really tough to see. And granted, there were players missing from this squad that we're used to seeing in the starting 11. But the midfield was, uh, to be honest, it was just shitty. They just couldn't do anything. And it was, it was like, you know, they would pass back and forth to each other. And then as soon as that ball came to like really start to make inroads in, into the final third of the pitch, it just didn't happen for one reason or another. It either came up short, it was hit too long, it, they passed it right to a Wolves player, Wolves collapsed on the player trying to make that second, third, or fourth pass. It was just, re- it, I mean, you have to give credit to Wolves in this game. They came out with a game plan and they knew what they were good at. And, you know, I said in the previous podcast, we both talked about it, that all 11 players traditionally for Wolves and they're starting 11, they're pretty good. And they can change the pattern of the game. And they, they can really, really ha- have an impact when you're not paying attention. So it, they are a good side. And I know that it, a lot of people, it hurts to hear that. Wolves are a good footballing side. They're in Europe. They finished seventh last year in their first season back in the Premier League. None of these things are secrets. At the same point in time, it's something you have to realize that, you know, that that's kind of what Villa are, are trying to do in terms of having a team where it's solidified and everybody's pushing it in, in the right direction. Um, Unfortunately, Villa fell flat on their face in the first 45 minutes. So I I do think that exposing the, or for Dean Smith to seem to want to expose the right hand side of the pitch, I think that that was something that did make sense. I think he he wanted to capitalize on an over eagerness for some of the Wolves players. A lot of them are very offensive minded. I I just think that at the end of the day, they also presented that they can be defensively astute as well. But it's always going to look like they're really good when Villa plays that poorly. Yeah, and I mean, the the lethargic kind of nature of Villa 
and uh, you know against the fast expansive play of Wolves obviously resulted in the first goal in the 44 31st 41st minute um you know they played a short free kick i think it was uh, Yamatinho and he kind of slowly passes the ball to the edge of the box um to Ruben Neves who you know one touch slots it home you know Neves is unmarked uh, Douglas Louise kind of shies away from heading it away from the goal and uh, Neuland gets his fingertips to it but he just doesn't have enough strength in his palm to stop the goal from going in yeah I don't, I, I don't know what your opinion is on it we haven't really talked about it yet but like how do you leave Ruben Neves just unmarked I think it's a fair question to ask I think that you have to know I, I, like through through data alone and I know Villa have some some really good you know people who work with data and showing you know about the opposition what they do well what they don't do well and things of that nature like you didn't know Ruben Neves ha- has a, a thunder bastard in his back pocket at any minute especially when he's unmarked and that's exactly what happened I mean you they just I don't know if they switched off or they just really, really felt that, you know, this this uh, free kick was was coming into the box or whatnot. But there was no one even looking anywhere near the edge of the area. Nobody. Everyone was trying to man mark for, you know, for the free kick and whatnot. But someone has to take a look around and know that, that, that this guy is, has no one near him. And he has the ability to to strike from distance. I mean, did did you think it was a little ridiculous? Because I, I looked at that and I was like, you guys completely just turned the light switch off. Well, for me, I I kind of looked looked at my phone, looked back up, and I thought, if we can go into the break at nil nil, we'll have a chance in this game, despite their dominance. Um, and then I put my phone down, and it vibrated as I was putting it down. Um, and I looked, and I got a, a notification from One Football saying uh, that it Wolves had scored. And I was just like, oh, it's just like that for me to kind of you know make a statement like that. And then Wolves score, um, but yeah, it's it, it's it is something you know it, it is something quite quite stupid to just leave Ruben Neves with so much room on the edge of the box. You know, we, we've seen what he can do. He scored many a wonder goal for for Wolves, and it's it's one of those things. You know, nine out of ten times Neves is probably going to score that, regardless of, of if someone's. Um, you know, marking him, but hey, you know, it's one. It's just one of those days, and things went from bad to worse, didn't they? Because uh, a couple of minutes before Neves' goal, Matt Target took a, a hit to the head, um, and he was complaining of blurred vision just before the half-time mark, and um, it ended up being subbed off for Neil Taylor. Yeah, that's a that's a classic case of concussion for me. I mean, I didn't even need a doctor to tell me that. I can tell by the way that he was just reacting when he got off off of the pitch when he he had that collision. Was it with uh, Triore, I believe? No, it was um, Matt Matt Target Matt Doherty. Sorry. Yeah, it was Doherty. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that collision. He was down face down on the pitch for a while, and then he got up and like you can re- like one of the things they tell you whenever you get a concussion, it, um, at least for people that are trying to figure out if you have a concussion or not, is obviously to put your hands over the eyes to see if the pupils dilate. I could see it on TV that man's pupils weren't dilating. I knew right off the bat he had a concussion, and I give him all credit in the world to try and stay out there. But you got to do what's best for the team. You got to signal that. Um, you know, you, you need off when something like that happens. Of course, you, you know, you're a proud footballer and you want to stay on the pitch and everything. I saw a couple of people on social media saying absolutely outrageous things like, oh, he just wanted off the pitch because he was having a crap game. Okay, he might have been having a crap game, and I'll give you that. It, no one on the Villa 
team, anyone in, in the Villa shirt in the first 45, didn't have a good game. That's just my opinion, but I, I really do think that's the case. But going back to the whole Matt Target thing and him having a crap game and he just wanted out of there as fast as possible, I don't buy into that. I think that's a really knee-jerk, hot-take reaction. Um, concussions are no joke. We've talked about it on the podcast before. You know, Various head traumas can result to other issues and whatnot. So just, you know, you it, it was... It, he had to speak up about it. If you have blurred vision and you just got knocked on the head, you have a concussion. That's how it goes. That's one of the symptoms of getting your brain rattled. That is what it is. That's what a concussion is. So, you know, people with these just really, really hot takes after the game or right before the full-time whistle on, on target and other issues in this game, I'm not buying it. I, you know, if you, if you have head trauma, get yourself off the pitch. You got to make it known. Absolutely. Um, do you feel that the first half you know, do you think the score was a fair a fair display? You know, do you think do you think we were lucky to for it to just be one nil, or should it be, should it have been more? I do think Villa were lucky. That it was just one nil. I I think that they got pretty much blown out of the water in almost every statistical category as far as offense goes. Um, you know, and it wasn't a for a one for trying. Villa were trying to do the best they could under the circumstances, but like I said, it was always that fourth, fifth, sixth link up ball that just was never coming off for them. Um, you know, they they had some chances as well, but I honestly thought this this could have been two or three nil going in the halftime. I think I think Villa were extremely lucky um, that that it wasn't a, a bigger score going in the half. And I'm not speaking just on doom and gloom. Uh, if you if you really look at some of the hard line statistics, if you if you rewatch, you know, even some patterns of that first half, like Villa were shocking. And and Dean Smith knows that. I know that he gave that team a little bit of a rollicking in the, in the room for halftime. So it's it's unacceptable. Um, you're going to have games like this. It's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen again throughout the season. You know, every every team has bad performances, um, bad halves at least. And I, I just, it for me, I was really, really happy with the fact that it wasn't 2-0 going into the room. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dean, Dean Smith said in his post-game that it was probably the worst first-half performance he's seen from his players since uh, they lost. I think it was a 3-0 loss against Wigan last season. Um, and we, we we mentioned uh, Courtney Hawes earlier in earlier in the podcast, and that that was his uh, I think that was his debut. He got subbed on against Wigan, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, this player is shocking!" And he went on to be like, you know, an integral part of our promotion. Yeah, I remember that. I actually remember uh, me and you discussing that game, and me being like, oh, "I don't know about that Courtney Hawes dude. He, he didn't look too good coming onto the pitch." But again, I, you know, it's. A poor performance, and it's it's been a while since that Wigan game. It was three 0 I believe it was away from home as well. Um, yeah, and I, I remember that game because it was it was bad news. It was it was social media meltdown. The whole thing. Everybody was like, oh, I can't believe you know I just saw that and how bad Wigan are and, and things of that nature." But again, it's it, you're going to have bad times. It's not always going to be wine and roses. Uh, you know, obviously we wish it, it could be, but it just it didn't didn't really work out. But you know. I don't know. The second half was better, though. You can't say it was better, but again, for how bad they were in the first half, and Dean Smith said it too, you can't give teams a 45-minute you know, go-ahead, basically. Before we move on to the second half, back back onto the Courtney Hawes thing, um, you know, that, that just shows the kind of knee-jerk reactions aren't you know, helpful to, to fans or players. You know, but everyone thought that Courtney Hawes was, was going to have you know, an awful time at Villa. And he went on to be an integral player in our promotion push. So, you know, you've got all these people saying, you know, Wesley isn't going to cut it in the Premier League. Um, 
Matt Target, you know, was getting rinsed by Adama Truro, so he, he tried to get out there as quick as possible. And these knee-jerk reactions are often knee-jerk reactions because they're wrong. You know, like, it's... There's no other way about it. You know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but if you think that Matt Target just wanted out, then... You know, I don't know. I don't know what the the thought process is there, um, and I, I will be very happy when Matt Target proves those people wrong. I'm the same way. I think it's a lot of people think that when you're having a poor performance on the field of play, that it all comes down to you know not having a willingness or not having the drive. Um, yeah, Matt Target didn't have a great first half. Um, up until the point he sustained a concussion. But the fact of the matter is, I think it's just really, really easy for people to want to throw, you know, barbs at, at those that they feel they're not performing up to the standard. Um, I didn't think that target was as bad as some of the other players on the pitch. And that's, that's an honest assessment. I thought Douglas Louise had a shocking game all the way through and he, he was allowed to stay on the pitch. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, the hot takes, I think it's one of those things that, I guess fans of football will always, if they don't have an outlet to scream, they're going to immediately go on social media and scream about it. And I, I don't know. I, I think that Target, for as bad as he was, and he wasn't very good, just even insinuating the fact that he faked an injury or said he had blurred vision to get off the pitch is absolutely useless comment. Um, I don't think you should ever really question the drive and determination of professional players like you're not watching Sunday League these men are paid for a living they've you know grafted for years and years to get to where they're at Matt Target was locked out for years at his previous club because he had more experience in front of him now he's getting a chance to show what he had I don't think for a second that Matt Target's happy about the fact that he had a collision with Matt Doherty and then he has to be off for a concussion in the first 45 minutes I just don't see him being happy about that no, of course, you know, he, 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 I saw people saying, oh, you know, he's shying away from this, he's, he's just trying to get off the pitch, and and then I saw someone saying, oh, El Ghazi's going to be next, and it's just these, like, pre-held or preconceived notions about some of our players, um, and they're not, they're not helpful, they're not useful, so I, I really don't understand where they come from. Um, you mentioned Douglas Luiz having a bad game, and, you know, in the second half... Villa found their footing a little bit. They looked they looked better than the first. But it always seemed like Wolves had an outlet to do as they pleased in the game. Um, Henry Lansbury came on in the 69th minute, and that was Villa's third substitution. Um, but he replaced Marvellous Nakamba. And at the time, I was thinking, why hasn't Douglas Louise come off? Because he'd just misplaced two or three passes before that substitution was made. In retrospect, Dean saw... But I saw watching the game back today that Nakamba was slight, I guess, shying out of tackles at times because he was on a yellow card, and you know he he wasn't he wasn't trying to get sent off, and the same was happening for Gilbert at times too. So I think overall it was it was a, was a smart decision from Smith. I don't question that substitution anymore after watching the game back. But you know, a lot of people said that Lansbury was perhaps the wrong substitution to make. He made an impact as he came on, but a lot of other people were calling for Connor Huron. Yeah, I think that's just the familiarity of Connor Horan being in the side, and they know what to expect from Connor. So maybe they thought with the dead ball situation, or maybe the uh, chemistry that he might have with John McGinn, that that might be able to salvage a, a draw. At the, at, you know, 
and I get that kind of thinking. I really do. Um, I agree with uh, like Nakamba was shying away from tackles uh, almost to the point of letting men run past him, and that's something we haven't seen marvelous do so far with his inclusion into the first team. So I get the understanding that they didn't want to sub off Louise or McGinn or anybody else. But, you know, with uh, Henry Lansbury coming onto the game and it changed into a 4-2-3-1 formation with uh, Lansbury as the sole center attacking mid, I believe he did do a couple things that what we know Lansbury is capable of. He's able to spray balls around the front line a little bit. He's able to get his back to goal and for a little bit of hold-up play, even if it's just to solidify a little bit of possession in the center attacking areas in the final third of the pitch. But... I just thought Douglas Louise was so poor. I mean, even for, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the second Wolves goal, but he, he, I just, all the way around, I don't think he had a good game. He didn't, he didn't look like he was interested some of the time. Um, simple passes that we're used to seeing from him weren't even coming off well. Uh, he was trying to get the ball forward, but it, it just wasn't working. So I can get both sides of the argument that maybe, you know, Naka, you know, with Nakamba going off, maybe it should have been Douglas Louise, but I, I think there's a case for, for both uh, opinions on that one. Yeah, before we get into Wolves' second goal, there were kind of a handful of chances for Villa. Um, and they looked the team on top for the last 15 or so minutes. Um, I can't remember who played the ball into the box, but Lansbury just narrowly missed a header. Uh, and there was also a chance for Wesley, who was unable to get a shot away at the far post. And um, both Trezeguet and McGinn had shots blocked. But yeah, it, it ended up with Wolves snatching another goal, um, as Neil Taylor kind of encroached into the final third of, of Wolves, uh, lost the ball, and the ball found its way to Adama Traore, who just absolutely paced it down the right-hand side. Um, and Douglas Louise kind of goes in for a challenge and bounces off him, basically. You know, if I'm if I'm Douglas Louise, I'm leaving Traore on the floor, you know? It's one of those challenges that you know you're going to get a yellow card for, but Douglas kind of shies away from that. Um and you know it, let, it lets Adama into the box to play a ball across across the box to Raul Jimenez to bury. Yeah, that that attempt to tackle from Louise was softer softer than tapioca to me. I, I just thought it was just a really soft effort, and I, I agree with you. I mean, it's easy for us, you know, to look back a day after the game and go, "Oh yeah, what a slit, you know, slit tackle, you know, slide through him and got a yellow card for it and been okay with that." I don't think that's Douglas Louise's game. I think he's a lot more flair than that. And yeah, he is regarded as a central defensive mid, but in those one-on-one situations, you got to realize it's Adama Traore. You got to realize what position your team's in. You got to under, you know, there's just, there's so much going on out there, but Villa, we're really like starting to get a, a foothold with going forward when this instance happened. So it was disappointing to see him just very softly try to make a tackle, knowing that this guy has a lot of pace. You know he's an absolute monster. I mean, his phys- Adama Traore's f- physicals are just nuts. He's, he's just a very, very physical guy. and we He's turning into the player that, you know, Wolves can appreciate, but even, you know, watching him, I can even appreciate it too. He seems like he's becoming much more of a complete player as he's playing the wing-back position. But, Louise, I, I do blame it on his defend- defending more than anything else but we've also seen that whenever that instance does happen for the opposition and you know those crosses that come over usually Tyron Mings or Bjorn Ingles are there to head the ball away or you know maybe even another player in the midfield that gets back so you know Villa didn't defend it well uh individually or as a team and that you know is disappointing to see well surprisingly you know you were talking about appreciating Adama Traore he's um I think it was last Friday I think he um 
apparently had declared himself for the Mali national team, uh, where there w- he would have been one of three Adama Traores. Um, but I found out today that he had actually he'd actually been called up by Spain, um, which is uh, you know great feat for for the Wolves winger. Um, but he's, I think he's had to drop out from from that call up due to an injury he sustained against us. Um, but you know, he's he's one of those players that you know people say the team that we had when we went down is the worst team, Villa team in history, and I think the teams that we were playing with a couple of seasons before we went down were, were far worse. You know, there's there's uh, there's obvious quality in. That relegation side, Veritu, Amavi, Traore, Adrissa Gay, they've all moved on to huge things. You know, Traore's playing in the Europa League, Vertu's at Roma, uh, Amavi's at Marseille. Uh, I'm missing someone that I've already mentioned, and I can't remember who, I've, who I'm missing out. Uh, Adrissa Gay. Adrissa Gay went to Everton and then to... Uh, he's now playing at PSG, so you, you know there, there was evident, evidently quality in that side, but things just didn't work out. You know things didn't gel. You know I, I think we'd we'd have been relegated that season if we had Messi up front. But um, away from praising an ex-Villa player in Adama Traore, um, it was our current winger Trezeguet who brought a goal back for Villa in stoppage time. Uh, he kind of volleys the ball at the near post and um, goes through Patricio's legs. And it looks like it's been cleared off the line, uh, but the ball had in fact gone over the line. Uh, you know, Villa Villa players turn around and are going, you know, that's gone over, and the ref walks away, checks his watch, and awards the goal. Um, but the Villa fans didn't weren't weren't aware that it had been given as a goal. You know, if you look at um, Max Stokes's uh, match day vlog. They're all they're all stood there going like, "Have we scored? Have we scored?" Um, and you know, Trezeguet kind of runs over to um, to the Villa fans, and he's kind of like you know, geeing them up, saying, "Come on, come on, we can get something from this game." It was probably too late, but Trezeguet then uploaded those pictures to social media, and to me, that's that makes it seem like he's saying that the fans perhaps weren't enough, they weren't loud enough. They, they they didn't get behind the team enough, maybe. Maybe I mean I I can't blame them for it. Um, from from everything that I'm hearing, it was actually one of the quieter away days from the Aston Villa you know supporters, uh, and that's not only through just you know Villa supporters. That's Wolves fans as well. Uh, I had a couple friends of mine that went to the game as neutrals. They don't support either of the teams, um, and they said that the the Villa contingency was was fairly quiet. Um, I don't have a reasoning for that. Obviously, I wasn't there. Uh, I just. I think Trezeguet is one of those kind of players where he he appreciates the crowd being behind them, and I'm sure that he's heard it a lot louder, even on an away day. And I thought that maybe he just felt that the team, the entire team, could have got a, a maybe a little bit more into the game if if they would have heard the traveling support. I I think that Trez had a decent game. I saw a lot of people slagging him off. I thought he had a, a, a pretty all right game, um, considering everything that happened. Uh, I think. He has the skills to make these kind of scrappy goals the way that he scored against Wolves. I think his versatility can't be ignored at this point. I think he can get it done any which way. It's just a matter of how he's going to do it. 
he, he seems to not shy away from the physical stuff. He doesn't mind running towards a man. Uh, he's proven the past couple of games now, even in losses, that he can be defensively responsible too. So I think he does have a care to play for Aston Villa. I just think that he's one of the types of players with the personality. He wants to hear the supporters actually behind the team in the good times and the bad. Yeah, I fully understand that. Um, but yeah, I, I did notice that I don't know what the the away allocation was, but we our fans were relatively quiet. Um, someone that I work with is a Wolves fan, and he was he was at the game, and I think he I think he was in the South Bank, um, and they 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 said that the Villa well he said that the Villa fans had started singing um, Super John McGinn. And were immediately drowned out by a Wolves rendition of uh, "We've Got Neves," um, and it, do you think this was maybe you know playing into a factor? A lot of the uh, Wolves chants are relatively similar to uh, Villa chants. You know, they've got um, their own version of the Conor Hurhan song for Yamatino. Do you think it was the case that you know Villa would start singing and? Wolves would just shut them up. I don't know. Uh, I do have to say, though, the most annoying thing about playing Wolves is that high-pitched Villa chant that they do to us. Oh, who was that that said it on? So, someone we follow. I know you follow them too. Said something about it being like one of the most cringe-worthy things they've ever heard in their life. That like Villa, Villa, Villa. That's that's not. I I don't even know why you would do something like that. Like that's not what Villa sounds like when they say it. I don't know. That's that's so cringeworthy to me. Like that's that's not something I expect to see coming out of England. That's something I expect to see for like a collegiate football game in like Alabama like that kind of taunting is just like I don't know I there's there's no way if you're a Wolves fan you can be proud of behavior like that there's no way either way it gets right on my tits <laughs> I mean I I get I get annoyed by stuff like that but at the same point in time like I guess it's just banter and it's it's usually that kind of behavior always comes from a team that in their heart and in their soul as a, as a fan base as supporters they know that the team they're playing is miles ahead of them and Villa might not be like in the current stature but as in history form Villa's ahead of Wolves and that's that's the way it goes um so yeah I think that's just behavior of teams that have like little man syndrome a little bit that just think like oh, okay we got one over on you now we're gonna have this completely annoying and un- it's just a really really weird chance I have I, I guess me being annoyed of it is exactly what the the Wolves fans wanted though you know they want they want to annoy the Villa fans um, yeah if it works it works yeah but I, I remember for the Carabao Cup game the commentator for that game was uh was was basically saying that they that he thought it was uh, young Villa fans doing it, and I was like, that, "There's no way that that's that's young Villa fans." I was like, "That's most definitely um, that's most definitely Wolves fans." And I I spoke to I spoke to my colleague about it, and he said it's been going on for ages. He said he can remember a game thirty years ago where Wolves did it to us. I've heard it in previous matchups, and I always thought it, it was. I, I, again, I, I maintain the opinion that I just think it's a very strange thing to be proud of. If, if you're a Wolverhampton fan, I really do. <laughs> um, back to back to Oyen Nealand. What what do you make of his performance in goal? You know, steers out for uh, probably at least two months now. Um, do you think he he just became our cup goalkeeper? 
Or do you think, you know, there's a there's a, there's a chance that Heaton won't be fit for the Newcastle game? Do you think that he's our number one for the foreseeable future until Heaton's back? Um, do you think Lovray Kalinic gets a nod at any point? You know, there's a few questions there, but... Um, for me, I think Nyland, if with Steer being out, if he's going to be out a couple of months, he's obviously going to be uh, the keeper on the bench for the Premier League. I, I definitely think that. Uh, we don't really know the extent of Heaton's injury as well, but I'm I'm pretty positive that he'll he'll be back after the international break. So I don't know. I, as far as the cup, I wouldn't. I mean, we we talked about it a little bit today. Um, as you progress through cup competition, your team's going to start to look more like the starting eleven than it is anything else. So I think maybe we might see Nealon in the cup. I, I don't know. How how do you th- think it all shakes down? I think it does depend on how bad Heaton's injury is. Um, but at the same time, you know, if, if Heaton's back, then I, are, I would like to see Neuland in goal. Um, I, think, I think we definitely won't see any Lovro Kalinic. I think... I've not seen pictures or videos of him in training. I I, I believe he's probably been given uh, like leave away from the club. I know. Um, I think the opening game of the season he was spotted in Croatia watching. I guess his local side there, um, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised to see him exiting in January. No, I, I we both thought that he was gone in the summer. Um... And Villa's probably going to take a little bit of hit on that, for at least financially, for what they paid for him. But I don't see Kalinich, I don't see him getting anywhere near this team. Um, I think he's just homesick. I think the it, the move for him didn't work out the way he thought it might have worked out. I think he was brought in to kind of be a backup. And then he, re- I don't know, I, I, I don't even want to say that he's a bad goalkeeper. I just think he's not a good fit for Villa. So you got to get him off the books. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think... Nyland's pretty much the guy go, going forward. I don't. I don't think you see Lavery at all. Um, a bit of housekeeping before we talk about the Newcastle game, and that's about Wesley. Uh, he's been called up to the Brazilian national team after an injury to Ajax's David Neres or David Neres. I don't know, especially how to pronounce it. Um, and he he's uh, had a knee injury that will keep him out until twenty twenty, which is obviously only a few months away. Um, Wesley probably won't see any game time in the friendlies against Argentina and South Korea. I know he's got um, Roberto Firmino, uh, Richarlison, Real Madrid Rodrigo, and I think probably one other player ahead of him in the pecking order. But you know he's he's going to be training with his countrymen, uh, getting away from Villa for a little while. Do you think this call up maybe will give him a bit more confidence? Maybe uh, help him evolve as a player a little bit. I do. I think that it's going to help him out a lot, and it might not translate to the pitch right off the bat, but um, it, it's it's that old saying, nothing feels better than going home. So maybe there's something there that he needs to go and just spend his time with his countrymen. Maybe go, if he has the chance to, you know, maybe go to like his favorite restaurant, visit some family, things of that nature. Some things that maybe he doesn't get to do all the time. Um, and being surrounded by world-class talent. I think the striker that you forgot was Gabriel Jesus. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think he realistically gets any game time whatsoever, but it's the whole thing of, Hey, you're getting noticed a little bit. And even though it might've been through injury, come, you know, train with us, see how we do things. You know, he's a really, really big body striker. And, you know, we, I, I kind of feel like we have to talk about it because we banged on about it in the last podcast. I didn't think Wesley had a terrible game. 
against against Wolves. I think he played a lot better than he showed in the previous two games against Liverpool and City. What's your opinion on it? Well, no, I, I completely agree with you. I, I posted it on Twitter and I got a bit of flack for it, but I thought that uh, it was one of his better games against Wolves. You know, he held up the ball better. He, he was stronger in, in aerial duels. He won a fair few of them. Um, and, I, you know, I, I saw him you know dropping outside of the box to uh, pick up a ball and spray it wide and you know I was I was I wasn't necessarily overly impressed with him but I think it was one of his better games in a villa shirt other than other than obviously the ones that he's actually scored in um I do think that he is perhaps a little bit too comfortable at the moment though you know Codger's not doing anything I think Codger's ready to go in in January um so I do think we definitely need a striker because I think Wesley needs to be challenged for that role. I think, you know, if if he's got someone challenging for him, even if it's, you know, a four million striker from the championship or something like that, you know, he it's someone that's that's going to be challenging him for that place, especially now Keenan Davis is injured. Yeah, I just want to see Villa bring in a striker, um, preferably with a little bit of pace. Uh, you know, I've, I've said it before. He, I just think that if... Dean Smith's one of his big things. We've heard it since he've wa- he's walked through the doors at Aston Villa. Is he loves competition for places. He has zero of that right now at the top of the pitch, and I'm sure he's not happy about that. Again, your opinion of maybe we could have we had in for a striker and it, it didn't come off in the summer window. However, however it shakes down, I think Wesley would actually benefit from being like, hey, there's this guy behind you in the pecking order who we know you know, has a bit of pace. It's kind of like the opposite of what you do. So if you really want to show your stuff, now's the time. Again, against Wolves, I thought Wesley played all right. The only thing that I, I that was a little worrying to me, he kept getting pushed out wide a lot. Um, I don't know if that was through necessity or because he had to do it. Um, but yeah, he was just getting pushed out wide. And I, I was, you know, standing at the pub, you know, talking to my buddy Adam. We're, we're watching the game together. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, why is he even out there? What, what's he going to do from a wide position? He, he just doesn't have that skill set to me. So that that's the only, literally the only gripe I had about Wesley's game through the entire, the entire game against the Wolves. Tactically, it's more than likely to try and spread their defense a little bit. Um, especially, or, well, that or to get the attention of Dharma Traore. You know, if... Uh, I've, I've seen a video of Jack Grealish saying that Wesley's strong, but he's not that strong, and especially in reference to his uh, second strongest player on the game in FIFA, kind of... Uh, you know, that he's saying... Basically, Jack says that he's strong, but there's no way he's the second strongest player in football. Um, but if anyone's going to match up Adama Traore, it's going to be Wes or Tyrone, really. So I think he's he's spending more time on the wings to try and draw in those players and give a bit more space to the likes of El Ghazi and uh, Trezeguet, but obviously that just didn't work out. In regards to his call-up, though, I do think that it, it, it will benefit him. You know, he, He's going to be playing with Gabriel Jesus. He's going to be playing with Roberto Firmino, and I think they'll teach him a couple of things. You know, they've been in the Premier League for some time now, and I think it could, it, as as we've both already said, I think it can really benefit him. 
Yeah, and I'm sure that he knows these other players, these other world-class talents that are in Brazil's squad. Like, this isn't a lightweight squad. They're pretty talented. They have, you know, players that we know from the Premier League and other leagues throughout the world that are really, really talented. And, you know, especially a lot of them that have a lot of potential. They're not even the finished article yet, such as Wesley. So get them in and around them, guys. Like, who knows? Like, you can just go to Bobby Firmino and be like, hey, you know, even though we're not the same body type at all, is there something you can, you know, help me out with, you know, when we played against each other? Did you see something that you didn't like from my game? Players talk like that. That's a real thing. It's not like they're just going in the room and being like, okay, we're going to do this 45 minutes of, of drills and go back in the room and go out to eat and not talk about football. Like these are, these are people, you know, these are professionals that are really, really into their craft. So, you know, they're going to have conversations. They're going to be able to show each other some things on the pitch. And the, just the inclusion of being in the Brazil national side. And like I said, it, you know, previously going back home is great. Being able to be around that, being in his home country, who knows? He can come back a totally different person with something like this. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying the possibilities there for it to happen. Absolutely. And after the international break, Villa have Newcastle at home. And it brings the return of Steve Bruce, who is now the Newcastle manager. Obviously, the last time we faced him, he was the manager of Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Newcastle are currently sitting 13th in the Premier League and have only lost once in their last five games. Uh, they actually looked decent last weekend. Um, and we, we all know how Bruce likes to play the game, but I would argue that he's got a different type of player or a different type of squad than he did at Aston Villa. How, how do you see this game panning out? I'm a, I'm a little bit in two minds about it, and in one, I think Bruce is just going to park the bus, and he's going to be happy to get out of there with a one nil win if, if, at all. But then again, like you said, he he has a lot of not a lot. He has a decent amount of players with an attacking impetus in his squad up there in Newcastle. So I believe that it's going to be a tough game for Villa. I think a lot of the games going into this stretch are going to be a little tough for him. Um, I just know that every Villa fan want every Villa supporter wants to stick it to Steve Bruce, you know, in any way, shape, or form. Um, the players got to know that, but like a lot of the players that are there now were not there when Steve Bruce was. So I don't know. There's just there's so much in the air before this game takes place. Like, what's the status of Heaton? What's the status of Ingles? Does Matt Target come back in? Um, what's going on with Jack? We seem to be getting a little mixed signals from the club about exactly what's going on with Grealish's injury. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things to consider beforehand. I just I don't think it's going to be an easy game, and I think Steve Bruce knows that Villa are a little. I guess I don't know. We we just lost three games in a row, so you know Steve Bruce again. I mean he he took his side to beat Manchester United, you know. So and like again, you said that their their latest game was against Bournemouth. I believe they won that game two one. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin had a had a header in the game, so like he's got players that don't necessarily score much, at, you know, believing in a system. So it's not just all like Bruce Ball as we've heard in the past. I don't know how how do you think the game's going to go? Oh, I think you know, moving back to Wesley, he it's going to be a battle between the two um, the, the two record Brazilian signings in Wesley and Joe Linton, and I, th- I don't think either club has been overly impressed with either player yet but Wesley is seeming the the better choice out of the two um, I'd like to highlight uh, Miguel Almiron he came over from the MLS I can't remember exactly where he was I think it might have been Atlanta and obviously with you being American you'll probably see a bit more of the MLS than me um, but to me he reminds me a bit of uh, Carlos Hill 
um, you know, kind of all the idea but no end product. I, I, I don't think he's had much luck in front of goal, despite his hefty price tag. And obviously mentioning Carlos Hill, he was, he was one of the uh, the MLS MVPs this season. Yeah, I, I mean, any any player that's going to come, you know, to England from the MLS, um, it's going to be a little bit difficult for them. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan in the world of the MLS. I will watch a game when it's on. I'm not going to, you know, organize my day or my nights out of, out, of, out of watching that game. I just think the U.S. game has a little bit uh, to develop and see how it is yet. It's it's hard for someone like me who I, I began watching football through the English Premier League. So for me, like not having promotion relegation, like that just I don't I don't like that whole thing at all so um but yeah it's going to be tough for any player to come over like not only the golf and quality of play but also the pressure that comes upon that i mean you're talking about a league with the mls that you know there's even americans that know that they don't even classify that as even a a very competitive league at all it is and they're professional players and have the utmost respect for that but making the jump across the pond and coming to England like that, that's just a whole different monster it's a whole different beast so i think there's going to be pressure on anybody's shoulders that, that makes that kind of a move yeah, definitely. Let's have a score prediction. Uh, I'm gonna say two two. I think I think a draw is the best thing that that we can really get. I just like again, there's just at, at right now, at present moment, there's so many question marks with who's healthy for Villa, who's not. How are they gonna respond to how they played against Wolves? I just think there's a lot in the air. But I, I I'd be happy with a two two draw. How about you? Based on the current squad that we've got, with you know, if if we to say everyone that's. Uh, that is injured at the moment or went off injured he's still injured for the Newcastle game I'm going to say one all draw that's respectable I mean it can happen I just don't I don't think Heaton stays out long term I think that was kind of a last minute thing uh, targets should be okay from a concussion after the break uh, yeah I I don't know and I it if we get all the players back that we were missing, I think the team's just totally different. I think you see what happens when you have key players missing and a poor performance happens at the same time. You get what you saw against Wolves. Yeah. Um, before we finish, what's your song choice this week? This song has followed me around again. This is like one of those things that pops up in playlists. I, I was watching uh, one of my buddy's vlogs. He used the outro of the song for the credits in his in his vlog and all that kind of stuff. But the song's called Kiss Me Hard by Swain. Really, really cool musicianship. Uh, song kicks off with uh, some harmonics. Maybe the more musical people that listen to the pod, they'll know it messes with a lot of like guitar harmonics and harmonies and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. It's a little bit of a heavier song. But like again, I listen to damn near everything. You got one for this week? Uh, I'm going to go with Red Rum by Skepta. I'm I'm off to see him towards the end of the month. So I've been listening to a lot of him to kind of gear myself up for that gig. Man, that's going to be a really cool show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It was was expensive, so it better be good. What venue is it in? Like, are you traveling to see it or is it one of, is it local? It's at the O2 Academy in Birmingham. Oh, not bad. There you go. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be a good time, man. That's, that's, I mean, I, I could imagine them tickets being a little expensive though. Yeah, it, I mean, it's probably one of the smaller venues in, in Birmingham. There's a couple of arenas, um, but it probably holds two and a half, three thousand. So it, the tickets were, I think, 40 odd, 50 odd pounds each. But it, it will be a good, a good show, hopefully. Yeah, I got to get to a concert soon. I usually attend live events all the time and see different bands that are coming to town. I haven't seen one since I went to Washington, D.C. Was that almost a month ago now? I got to get on the ball here. I think that is probably the best place to end this week's podcast. Um, 
bit of bit of musical discussion towards the end. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, as always, please let us know via Twitter, any other social media. You can even drop us an email. Our emails on our on our Twitter. Um, please leave us feedback via uh, a review on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform that you're listening on. Um, and if you've enjoyed this since the first time you've listened, please please subscribe to us. You can follow us on Twitter at Villalamp on Instagram at under a gaslit lamp and on facebook forward slash under a gaslit lamp and you can keep up to date with all the latest news and opinion for aston villa and the aston villa women on www.underagaslitlamp.com thanks for listening and up the villa